the flatbed outlook for 2019 looks significantly worse compared to 2018. Brokers, carriers, and Wall Street agree freight volumes are stagnant. The economic outlook depends on the data points you believe. And we recap the radio show, independent contractors, rails, futures, and data. Then it's on to the other big headlines of the week. Private equity is on a mission to bring transport and logistics into the future. And autonomous electric and regulatory barriers. Navistar's Gilligan paints a path forward. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. And we are joined by the Sultan of Sonar, Zach Strickland. Welcome again. Hey, guys. Great to have you on. Way <laughs> yeah, to begin with a whimper. Um, no, seriously. But we'll end with a bang. Boom. Oh, I like that idea. Redwood Logistics is one of the nation's fastest-growing logistics providers fueled by industry-leading technology and a passionate team of experts. From multimodal brokerage and dedicated truckload to third-party logistics and TMS consulting, implementation, and integration, Redwood Logistics delivers next-generation solutions for its clients and much more than a truckload. One of the things that we're celebrating because so many things are happening this week for us is this is a focus today on freight and tech and innovation. Because what's going on today, guys? Uh, Freight futures uh, contracts are launching in Chattanooga on the Nodal Exchange. And trading has begun. And, uh, you know, it's awesome. We are – we've – been working for years on creating this financial instrument to de-risk, uh, you know, carriers and shippers from spot market volatility. So it's super exciting. And to, uh, tomorrow oh, the, on Saturday, yeah, the case competition. That's happening. You want to give us like a little down low on that? Yeah. Side? So we've got about eleven uh, universities. Fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Oh, yeah, fourteen. Now. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, with sixty students uh, participating, uh, they get a cash reward of nine thousand dollars if they win, and they get a. Uh, the case outline is basically just a standard, like, real-world problem that we came up with uh, with a few other people, and they're tasked to solve it as creatively as possible using actual data. Give yourself credit. You originated this case study. I did provide the, the ground-level base, base, base work for it. So, cool, so it's, it's That would like, be so cool. So there's a bunch yeah. of kids mm-hmm. at our new headquarters kind of camping out for, what, like, seven, like what, 36 hours, basically? Like, at like, least, yeah. Like, just like crushing sonar data, going into this thing, doing these deep dives and hanging out and competing against each other. It's really cool. It's I feel like it's part of our general vibe of like bringing in the community, bringing in like new people, like talent, like showing them how interesting problems in freight are and kind of like, you know, we're working on the on the pipeline for like young tech data savvy like workers in this industry well they're they're going to be drinking uh, beer from the taps uh, at freight alley as well right as i understand <laughs> I, I don't know during, during <laughs> oh, the competition God. yeah they might yeah i mean just i was kidding okay right? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean if they're maybe if they're if they're of, 20 of the age, if they're 21 right? maybe um but anyway what, what uh, by the way um what are you guys drinking we're uh, drinking <laughs> I didn't mean to catch you off off guard. Yeah, so Zach uh, b- brought over a growler from Naked River. You want to tell us what's what's in the growler? Yeah, it's a Citronova. It is one of their hazy IPAs, um, 5.6% alcohol, very lovely, quite juicy. Quite drinkable. Yeah. Hazy. Quashable. You also brought in a trim tab brewing mosaic singularity. You know, mosaic kind of 
Mosaic Singularity. That's such a weird, like, what does it that mean? It starts to taste the same, but I guess that's because it's just a single variety of hops. But, uh, oh, no. Yeah, you okay. really, you really mispoured that. <laughs> Got that's, aggressive. That's a, that's a very thick head. It's getting a little bit of spilled. Okay, well, let's, let's move on. So the flatbed outlook for 2019 looks significantly worse compared to 2018. This was an article written by uh, Dean Croak, our chief insights officer, um, a wonderful man whom uh, George Abernathy once called the most interesting man in freight. Yeah, he is, um, he's, he's legendary, isn't he? <laughs> I think he was driving he his like his 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 family tractor at the age of four. Twelve. Twelve. No, no like four. Oh, tractor. Oh, I thought oh. I was yeah. thinking of a. Tr- <laughs> I was and thinking of a truck. Truck at ten. At ten. Apparently, because his dad had sleep apnea. Well, they do things they, differently in Australia. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> down under. Um, this is awesome. Everything's upside down, first mm-hmm. of all. One of, the, one of the things I think that's cool about, like, okay, so, like, John Kingston, when he talks oil, my gosh, he can, like, connect it to anything. It's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. But it's like with oil, like, literally, how can he find a subject that relates to anything? Well, <clears throat> uh, let's see. I think others can do it, too. But, uh, you know, it, with their own respective categories. Well, you know, with Dean it's flatbeds. <laughs> like, it's, no, it's trucking in general. Trucking. Well, that's true, but I mean, like, this, he, is the man who, this guy can take flatbeds and like and and connect it to like every single thing that's happening this, in the world. This is the guy who literally, like, if you're like on the way to Atlanta with him driving in a car, you pass you, you if you pass uh, like a semi, he'll snap a picture of it and then go through all of the FMCSA violations on it. Yeah, like, like he's like he's like. A rain man of trucking. Yeah, he knows he knows exactly what's going to happen like down the road. He said he could actually predict uh, people that were getting pulled over. Uh, he's really into the data of everything too. So he's yeah. worked on a lot of everything models. from the physiology of drivers and how that relates to sleep cycles to you know like like the way the trucks are spec'd out to markets to, to everything. And he wrote this great uh, chart of the week. Uh, Strickland, Strickland abandoned us to uh, spend a week in Napa Valley. <laughs> um, so uh, Dean Croak had a pickup for him. But this is a really great article. Um, it goes into industrial data. It goes into manufacturing indices. It goes into, you know, what, what else? Is new orders indexes that are, yep. you know, new orders are slowing down. Well, he kind of ties the like a lot of these economic factors into what uh, creates the flatbed uh, freight, you know, and I think that's really important. I don't think a lot of people, even even shippers, don't look at like the big picture, like the big big picture of macroeconomic like influences and factors on their business. Right. And flatbed is uh, very influenced by a specific type of freight because obviously, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's industrial products, it's construction. And it's business investment, especially with regard to like heavy machinery. Yeah, it's essentially things that can't be palletized or packaged real neatly. You know, like long pieces of wood and and or long pipes, steel. Yeah, you know, a, a, a transformer or some like you know large piece of whatever. A lot of raw materials, and it <clears throat> only represents twelve percent of the entire uh, trucking and uh, in, over the road industry. But what is what's interesting about it is that it's. It's it it represents a, it gives us insight yeah. into a different part of the economic cycle. So if you look at like retail, which is what like sixteen percent, yes, that's sort mm-hmm. of like the end. That's what what people are buying. That's the consumer. That's consumer sentiment. That's how much money people feel like they have in their pockets. That's how the S and P five hundred is doing. But flatbed is way before that. Mm-hmm. Like flatbed is how 
businesses perceive the demand for their products? Like, should we build another factory? Um, is there going to be demand to build the subdivision and move these excavators into this land and no. grade it and build That's a right. build a housing complex? Like, like it's 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 sort of it's it's a it's a leading indicator com- compared to yeah. a consumer packaged goods. But it's also extremely volatile and seasonal. Yeah. Um, I mean, flatbed kind of dies off in the winter, obviously because the weather doesn't permit you to hold, uh, you know carry things outdoors. Um, but also the material, like construction season doesn't really start in earnest until the weather warms up. So a lot of factors kind of in, like, has a huge swing up and down. And his chart actually shows that last year was one of the huge, like the largest swings up that we've seen in recent years. And, oh, yeah. and because of that, he actually uh, suggests that if you're, you know, that to do a year over year comparison uh, can can lead to mislead, is misleading right, because right, of, right. like not only, I mean, 2018, of course, began super hot, you know, it was tight on capacity, but it was just such a perfect storm of, of things, right? It was the tax thing. It was the ELD thing. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Was, it was the, the leftovers of the, of the hurricane. For sure, Thanks. like lowering the corporate taxes and um, allowing uh, companies to get all of that depreciation and, yeah. and, and the, write, out, write it all off in the first year definitely spurred a lot of business development, you know, business investment. I yeah. love I love the tie together of the hurricanes because I don't I think people kind of discount like once that news kind of hits, it's kind of off everybody's mind for and, a while. And, right. Yeah, after and a week or two. I know, uh, you know, I was in the freight market at that point in time, and we, you know, the hurricane hit early September. Hurricane Harvey. Uh, leveled Houston in early September, and then it really didn't have a huge impact until October, uh, because by that time, you know, everybody had gotten in, started cleaning everything out, and then all of a sudden we had all this just mass disruption in October, and then that lasted throughout the la- the rest of the quarter, even well after the Harvey was no longer news. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to have to to talk about these like specialized logistics providers that do disaster relief and bring in bottled water and things like that. But it's a whole another thing when you think about like, okay, if you know twenty thousand houses were flooded, who's going to bring in the carpet to fix that? Who's going to bring in like lumber? Who's going to haul nice, yeah. haul the stuff <clears throat> out? Yeah, of the city, you know, especially the Houston. I think. Was you know kind of a black swan. I mean, it's you know it's America's fourth largest city by population. The fact that the majority of it was flooded, I mean, is was truly catastrophic in a way that most hurricanes hitting you know a random part of you know interior Florida aren't necessarily going to. Right. Be. No, and most people haven't seen that kind of devastation before. You know, that's tremendous amounts of damage, just billions of dollars. That like that's like yeah. think about a billion. That's not really something you can really put your head around. No. Um, no, and. It, and it's especially when you think of like billions of dollars of damage to like homes, because it's like that's what like a couple hundred grand a pop times thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands, um, and all and stuff has to be moved out of the market and stuff has to be moved into the market. It takes a and long time. Takes, it takes a long yeah. time. No doubt. And and the, and things that happened uh, this year that we're we're looking at. I mean, there's there's California wildfires and there was this polar vortex that that probably inhibited flatbed. Uh, growth so that, you know, the overall outlook for 2019 is that we may be able to see some modest growth because of some factors that held us back. Another misleading thing from year over year, though, is that, you know, oil is more than 10 percent below last year's prices yeah. while while still, you know, growing. <clears throat> Production still up. Yeah. yeah. Production still up. That's what I actually, you know, kind of want to um, quibble with Dean on that point. He kind of said that, you know, it might sort of lessen the incentive to produce. Um, 
that's not actually what I've been hearing from, you know, people like Ryestad Energy, people like oilprice.com, people that really study the Permian Basin and the economic, you know, sort of forces there. Um, what's interesting about the Permian Basin right now is that production is pro- is projected to increase by a lot this year. And it's being driven not by the small players who have been in the market for a long time. People like Pioneer, Apache, Occidental, Concho. Those are all the, the little guys who lived through the 2015-16 downturn. And right now, ExxonMobil and Chevron are coming in. They've seen they've seen the sort of model be proven out. They are looking to consolidate a lot of these small companies. Even though they're making money, their CapEx is outrunning their free cash flow um, still. That's crazy. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult business to, to figure mm-hmm. out. But um, now the, the really the, – the megas are coming in thinking that they can roll these companies up, you know, lease out a bunch of land and really, um, you know, realize some economies of scale. So I think that production will go up. And I think even if even if WTI uh, pulls back a little bit, it's not really going to matter to someone like Exxon Exxon, or Chevron. They have a low cost uh, threshold so they can actually operate. That's kind of not unlike what a private equity company does. But, but overall, <clears throat> to, to what extent are you quibbling? Because it sounded like you're still suggesting that there's going to be modest growth ahead. And so, I think no, that, So WTI mm-hmm. uh, broke through uh, $60 um, a couple of days ago. You know, uh, President Trump you know, tweeted, you know, the, the Trump oil call came through again. Um, oh, and, really? <laughs> and pulled it back a little bit. I, w- w- I guess what I'm saying is that if mm-hmm. oil is oscillating between 50 and 60 which is less than it was last year. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. Like oil production in right. West Texas, which is very trucking intensive, is going to increase by a lot in 2019. Not yeah. just not not the the prices. What's happening now is the entry of lots of new capital, the multinationals like ExxonMobil and, and Chevron, a lot of consolidation, and the the price going up and down is not going to stop them from. You know, drilling new wells or, or completing um, drilled wells. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, okay. Well, we will see. I mean, that's a that's a big view that you're taking, and I dig it. You guys are ta- getting it here, right here on what the truck <laughs> uh, on our 61st episode. We've been at it a little over a year. Uh, thanks for for checking us out. If if you never have before, uh, JP. Similarly, uh, I believe you broke this story of brokers, mm. carriers, and Wall Street all agreeing. That freight volumes are stagnant. Well, they're stagnant. I mean, they're year over year. They're stagnant. Year over year. But um, it all started really with, um, well, I have to say it started with our data. But we we knew this, you know, uh, almost two months ago. But finally, yeah, um, we've been tracking it day by day. Last week, Covenant issued a, a first quarter earnings update, trying to um, kind of get a soft landing on their call, uh, lowering guidance for the first quarter. Saying that you know their earnings are going to be anywhere from what thirty-three uh, percent to fifty percent lower than the street consensus expectation, um, and they you know uh, CEO uh, David Parker kind of shied away from any kind of macroeconomic ex- you know sort of <laughs> right. sort of reason for this. He kind of blamed it on these the weather, weather. So it started with that. Episode. It started with that. Um, you know, we saw we saw some um, research this week from Susquehanna Financial Group suggesting that 
West Coast uh, container volumes are down 9.6% year over year. Um, and overall rail volumes are down four point. So over the, the, the sort of the four-week moving average for rail volumes, it's down 4.7% year over year. In February. And, yeah, in, yeah, in February. Yeah. Um, and now – no, no, sorry. No, this is the this is oh, past four weeks. Yeah, okay. it's the past four weeks. Yeah, I mean, is, rail, is, rail is its own – Animal yeah, but really been disrupted by weather. But no, it's it's also. I mean, that's that's a real thing. I, I've looked at the data too. I mean, that's okay. it's definitely down year over year. I mean, rail does definitely correlates with trucking and, and all then, that. Sure. And then we talked. I talked to uh, some brokerages um, yesterday as well, um, and they were. You know, I talked to Trident based in. Chattanooga, but I was actually talking to their branch manager in, in Tampa, their, their, their new office. Right. <clears throat> Rushfield Hacker, great guy. Um, he's an old Access America guy, actually. Um, talked to um, people at Nolan Transportation Group, uh, NTG out of Atlanta. and Bolo, right? Yeah, and talked to uh, 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 Matthew Vogrich, at, you know, president of Molo Solutions in Chicago. And they, and, you know, Vogrich, he, was, he had a little bit of a different take. They're still in, like, hardcore growth mode, and they're actually seeing volumes, their own volumes rise week over week just because they've got all these RFPs going mm. live. They they really busted their asses servicing their customers' freight last year, right. and they're kind of getting rewarded for that now. I mean, it's, it's they're literally, like, they're they're 18 months old. Right, or twenty months. So old. they're in super growth mode. So yeah. their curve's so, not necessarily representative right. of the rest of the country. Right, but you look at you look at a brokerage like Trident that's you know four or five years old. They have a lot of exposure to the spot market. You look at Nolan Transportation Group, which is a large you know you know a, quite a large three PL that really has um, a beat on the market, and they're all saying that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the volume is not, you know, every basically every market in the country is soft. Yeah, um, and one of the interesting things in your article, you, you state at the end there, is uh, basically how shippers are basically playing the spot market for a totally different reason than you yeah. would normally think, and that's yeah. because their contract rates are so elevated, they're and trying to bust and what's, out. And what's awkward is that some of these brokers are seeing their own customers post contracted freight, you know, vo- lanes that they have contracted, Two load boards for prices lower than the what they contracted. So now the broker has to go back to the carrier and be like, okay, like, oh, you know, what we need to talk. Like, let's move our rate down. Like, come on, like, yeah, that's guys, a weird let's work this out. Yeah, but they haven't. They still haven't come all the way back down. I mean, that's that's a hard thing to do to pull back down a contract. They haven't come but. all the way back down. The last <clears> piece of this, Wall Street. Um, Ravi Shankar issued a note uh, Wednesday morning, um, right, basically saying that you know because w- w- what Morgan Stanley does is they survey carrier sentiment and they talk to carriers and they. To figure out like how you know, one of the basic questions they ask is how much do you think contract rates will go up in 2019, and essentially that number has gone down over the course of this year. It has slipped from you know anywhere from like five to seven percent down to what it's is it is negative now. Um, it's it's like it's like less than one percent. Um, I didn't I don't remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Point. Yes, yeah. so he, he wrote. He wrote in our latest survey. Respondents expect 2019 rates, excluding fuel, to increase 0.83 percent year over year on average, uh, versus 
1.12% in their last survey. So basically what I'm saying is that carrier sentiment is deteriorating. Yeah, like, no, that's like exactly what surveys tell you is sentiment. They've, so. they've revised down from sort of mid to high single digits down to like less than 1%. And it's going to keep going down. Like, like I think Chainalytics is now calling for 5%, um, you know, 5% negative uh, year-over-year comps for um, contract rates. You know, I, I was looking at DAT rate view the other day, and I was comparing like just the national average in you know broker to carrier spot and shipper to carrier contract rates, and that's that spread has continued to blow out. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going up to, to it's up to forty one cents a mile now. But those those are I remember at the end of the year it was like twenty three cents a mile. That's forty one cents a mile. So that's going to continue it's going to pull pull, them down. pull a contract down, um, and you know that's but contract is a very slow moving entity, so. It um, is. We've been advising that we haven't seen the bottom. Yeah, but it, it does appear. I mean, looking at, at some the of the bottom, rates, the bottom for spot is probably in. The bottom for contract is not. Right. That's exactly right. Because I was about to say some of our a lot of the spot market data looks like it's hitting floors uh, because it's like flattening out. You know, if you're looking at it and it kind of slowly comes down and then it just kind of levels. Yeah, uh, that appears to be happening yeah. right now. And that's what's ha- what's happening with available capacity. Um, so we have we, we are we're we're hitting rock bottom. This is great. It's not necessarily rock bottom. <laughs> Things can always get worse, but they can always uh, well, get better too. But it's, well, what would be worse is if there was like a significant economic downturn. Yeah. If GDP went negative and freight like volumes like because, truly disappeared. Yeah, because what? volumes are still pretty good. I mean, if we hadn't been coming off like the hottest year on record, like 2017, 18 oh, yeah. was like one of the sickest years on record. Uh, in terms of freight yes. movement, and everybody has this kind of recency effect about how they've, right. you know, you, you come oh God, outside. You the, the world's fall. You know, the sky's falling. Yeah, D- Donald Broughton actually had a really good analogy about this. Uh, he he said, you know, it's kind of like going outside in the spring and it's sixty degrees, and you put on shorts. You know, if you live in like <laughs> Connecticut or something, it's yeah. like, oh man, it's burning up outside. But sixty degrees in September is like frigid. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you're right, right. Yeah, I mean, overall, that's just my my overall like take takeaway right now is that as we're looking at all of this and we're taking it all in right now is like we're still growing. Yeah, it's still you know, a, it's still I, a decent segment, but the problem with that in trucking, uh, when you've increased your infrastructure and built your capacity up to kind of handle, yeah, you think you're going to get more because you budget. Everybody does this in in the sector. They budget. Nobody budgets like contraction. They all budget growth, and so when you go out there, isn't it funny? The it's, way it works it's I've, I've always been quite critical of that process, but without getting into the details of it, everybody throws like some percentage on top of their budget every year because yeah. it's simply such a daunting task to go through every line item and say, well, we're going to do two percent here, and that's going to increase here, and but that's also going to contract here. So they just say we're going to set this goal of five percent done. <laughs> yeah, sure. I see that. Uh, I remember, though, all all too clearly the urgency that we all felt last year with, you know, with, with I don't know that it, it didn't feel like the sky was falling, but but with, with capacity so tight, like we were talking about it week after week after week. Oh, capacity so tight. What are we going to do? Like, you can just imagine the truck orders going in and people want you know, it. And, and actually, as a result... 
I think that truck orders are going to be relatively strong throughout the rest of 2019 because they were so backlogged. Actually, they're they're way down year over year, year over year, of course. Well, orders, I mean, orders, 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 but, but they're the still going to be coming yeah. in. They're coming in the rest of the year, and then in 2020, it's supposed I want to be say, softer. yeah, I want to say they peaked out in late fall. But I guess my point is, like, you the know, we fall? we we are like. We do respond to that. It's it's hard not to think, oh, this is the new normal. Like we were even saying, well, maybe capacity is going to kind of kind of like stay kind of elevated in some of these ways. I just remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember us talking, oh, the pendulum swings, but no, this is kind of the new normal. We, as you just said, we're prisoners of the moment. Yes, yeah. recent everybody effect. is. Um, so this is this is how these things happen. I, I wonder how many people were last, la- or how many carriers, how many owner operators last year were like, "Hey, things are tight. I'm loving it, and I am not going to increase my capacity at all." Mm-hmm. No, because it's no, just no. Every, now everyone is like, "Hey, but, no. I, I'll just add one but, more truck." One more, yeah, that's but that's trucks. but I mean, let's be honest. That's what they're supposed to do. Like they have outside pressure saying. You're either growing or you're dying. I know, yeah. To use a Tommy Boy quote, <laughs> you know, um, and that's that's simply not necessarily. I mean, growth can come in different ways, not necessarily in just straight, you know, material, right. uh, or, or, or you know, load assets. volumes or assets or whatever that is. I mean, to, to gain market share, there is, it is. That's wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> growth can come in different ways. Yeah. Yields, so yields, for example, yields exactly. Hey. There we go. <laughs> Have you considered that? Yeah. Margins and... Well, you know, I feel like in great. a way we've already segued into uh, Brian Strait's um, really uh, you know, kind of deep dive here, his economic outlook depending on the data points that you believe. And, uh, I, you know, and one of his takeaways, he was he was at the uh, he, the ACT's research 60th seminar in Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, uh, their chief economist, uh, Sam Cahan uh, of ACT research was was kind of saying, you know, hey, the forecast, you know, the GDP forecast for 2019 is 2.1%. Yeah, down from 2.9 in 2018. But it's a little scary to think that the projections are 1.9% for 2020 and one. They just revised the 2018 number down. Yeah, down. It's, it's like 2.6. And see, that's exactly that's, what happened. 2018? Yeah. yeah. They retro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they always do that. They get, okay, well, whatever the case. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> no, I'm saying they, they did that like today. Yeah, gotcha. they, but they clean the numbers up, so they get more information in, and then they they're able. I to wish they of, could clean the future numbers up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like it looks like there's a slow descent down. Yes, but and here's it depends on who you ask and the data and how what you look at. But like and how you know is the glass half full or empty? I'm still seeing there's there's growth. L- there's a lot of confusion out there right now because you do get so many discrepant data points. Like the retail, I think he cites in there as being like everything's great. Uh, well, it was it was bad in, in the holiday, but now it's picking back up, which good. is weird for the first quarter. Right, like, like first that, quarter GDP is always is has been like really kind of weak uh, for a number. You know, going back like pretty much every year, like. It's actually plunged below like two percent, like several times. Yeah, no, we're we are seasonal creatures. We when the winter happens, we actually slow down. And especially if it's <laughs> yeah. a back winter. to your recency bias. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's right. I mean, we uh, we we definitely have a seasonal. Like, if you look at kind of activity for the human during the week, there is a rhythm that everybody operates on, and tra- oh, yes. and transportation is the ex- the epitome of this. 
You can look yeah. at people like kind of scheduling orders. Yeah, shippers avoid Wednesday morning. Yeah, no, like <laughs> Monday, know, right? Like they come out hot on Monday because it's like, oh crap, there's all this stuff that's there, and then they kind of slow down, and then towards the end of the week, Thursday, Friday, oh, I got, I'm about to leave. I don't want to work anymore. And yeah, we can <laughs> literally we chart that on mm-hmm. sonar. Yeah. We see the <laughs> weekly cyclical cycle. No, it's this industrial rhythm that we've all kind of got programmed in us, and it's no different throughout the course of the year. Like we ramp up in the spring because it gets warmer. Everybody starts going outside. We do more things. Uh, And I hate that kind of anecdotal like evidence, you know, but there are quantifiable uh, things that you can do with that in terms of economic sales and output and things like that. But You you can't, you know, plant crops if the ground's frozen. You can't excavate to build a building if the ground's frozen. Yeah, I mean, there are reasons for seasonality. There's certain reasons, but... uh, but People don't, people don't, people drink more Gatorade when it's Hot. When, when it breaks above 85 degrees yeah. in Texas than they do when it's 50. More people sleep at night. No, and we do. We do sleep more in <laughs> the winter. I mean, rhythms. that's because there's less yeah. light available. Uh, but you don't uh, you don't really think about these things in and terms we, of economics. We, and we, 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 we add body fat, or at least, at least <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> well said. Okay. Um, but I see uh, overall, uh, Zach, what you were saying about there's confusion, and, and I suppose in some ways that illustrates what um, Brian Strait was covering at this conference with, with this particular article. Like, uh, you know, you can look at certain certain aspects of things and you can, you know, it's almost spin them a certain way, or you could you could hyper-focus on, you know, consumer spending, you know, or or right. uh, or, or wages or unemployment, you know, and, and, and get a very positive spin on things. Uh, or, you know, you could look at, uh, you know, carriers, uh, you know, volumes or tender rejections and, and get kind of a different thing or look at retail sales and how there was no Christmas in a sense. And, and I think one of the things that uh, Kahan, I believe it was Kahan, um, said that I thought was, mm-hmm. you know, pretty, pretty interesting, actually, and pretty insightful is that you know, of course, you know, the data is mixed, you know, very few people, you know, there, there's very few recessions that have been, you know, called by a consensus of economists before they actually happened. Except for the yield curve inversion. Oh, the, he, he actually, straight, straight, straight mission, <laughs> yeah. the yield curve. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, actually, if you go back to the original dissertations on yield curve and recession correlation, the the uh, six month and 10 year have to, or sorry, the three month and 10 year have to be Inverted for a whole quarter. Oh, before, before oh, not just like well, I haven't gone minute. back to the original yeah. uh, uh, the the, the well, dissertations. You're on welcome. The yield curve. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you. But no, but, what I was going to say is that but he said he said what's clear, more yeah. what's more likely is that we have rolling recessions in certain sectors, mm-hmm. whether you know whether it's yes. retail, housing, manufacturing, whatever. Sort of these like mid cycle pauses that we saw in 2011, 2016, things that can. Hurt freight, but don't necessarily mean you know that you know the world's ending. Yeah, no, 2016 was a weird year uh, because it, we weren't in technical recession or anything like that. But we certainly felt it out in the world. Um, you know, things slowed down for us for yep. sure. Yep. Uh, we had no idea why or what was happening because we simply just didn't look. But. We thought, oh, man, we're doing something wrong. And it turns out, no, everybody was just slowing down. And as a trucking company, you never know what your shippers are really experiencing because they're always going to tell you, hey, we're having a great year. 
because <laughs> most of them are publicly traded companies that are, you know, yeah. they yeah, have supposed to, to be saying they, they always say that. Yeah, they always say that. Until it's like until they can't anymore. And <laughs> because there wasn't as much uh well transparency and information. Did I say great year? I meant <laughs> uh you know, we're we're doing some stock buybacks. No, actually uh, we're not giving it to you because your service stinks and your rates are too high. So if we could or or it could because our customers don't have any money right or we're not selling anything (laughs) but you guys aren't pessimists or anything Um, I'm just (laughs) stating what happened call it like it is (laughs) saying what happened um, so tell me about this uh, radio show on uh, last Saturday man Last week, uh, yeah, uh, last week on uh, Road Dog, uh, the Road Dog Channel 146 on Sirius XM, uh, we talked to a number of people. We talked to Greg Fury, uh, the partner and transportation attorney at Scopolitis, about uh, that, you know, that, that, that controversial, the, the, the Supreme Court deciding not to look at the case. What does that mean? Uh, it was kind of interesting uh, what it means for owner op- independent contractors and owner operators. We talked to Todd Tranowski of uh, of rail and he was he was talking about the disruptions in in service due to weather uh, and you know um, well we also talked to Kevin Hill of uh, Carrier Lists talking about data talking about how they 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 collect it and how that gives us insight into the industry I, I you know but of course very importantly because of the context here we talked to Addison Armstrong our executive uh, director of freight futures at, at freight waves and he talked to us and you know he educated us a little bit on yeah yeah the freight tell me about futures. that conversation well I mean <sighs> It's it's interesting. Like he was just kind of giving us overview of, of what's going on about how you know over a two year period how freight waves and and, and node, the nodal exchange and, and our DAT thank you and DAT did a lot of number crunching and studying on the liquid lanes in the country and how we came up with the lanes that we did and how how when you put them all together in aggregate you can get a national kind of number and so like he he did a great job of like giving us an, an overview and uh, yet, you know, not talking down to us about kind of what can be a very complex subject. Right, right, um, right. Kind of educating us. Uh, and, yeah, and there's going to be like a lot for us to learn, honestly, like going forward as, you know, the, you know, the, the, the trucking freight futures contract launches today, starts being, you know, traded. Like we're, we're going to be talking about things like forward curves and, you know, kind of what the market expects for – for prices going, you know, in, into the future, up to I think up to sixteen months into the future. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah. mean I think that like there's some sort of complex, you know, financy type terms that we're going to try to break down for you and explain to you because we think that a lot of these uh, the the data that will be available because you know it's it's essentially it's all of these market participants and trading participants coming together to think about like what prices will do in the future and like. If it's better than a survey because people are putting their money where their mouth is. And so, like, I think, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see the the insight and the transparency that even just p- people who aren't necessarily participating in the market, people who aren't trading futures contracts, what they can learn from it and, and sort of, you know, the, 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 the way that they can pivot strategically based on 
what the market thinks is going to happen. No, I totally geek out on this stuff. I mean, I was a finance major back in college thinking that I was going to come out into the world and and rip apart the stock market with my investment savvy. <laughs> Uh, and this is pretty cool to me because I kind of reluctantly came into transportation and then to see this financial instrument, which I studied in college quite thoroughly, uh, kind of start to in, like pervade the transportation sector is really cool to watch because I think a lot of people in transportation don't understand exactly how this could really mix with what they do. And uh, to me... Uh, they just don't – they simply don't understand like, hey, this is going to provide you actually, whether you participate or not, with a lot of information. And right, right, it's right. real. Like you said, JP, like this is – It's like a farmer. It's like a farmer you know, in Iowa who grows corn. Like th- they might not be trading on the floor of the you know, Chicago Board of Trade. but Which they, is kind of the origins of the futures market. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But they can look at prices and say, hey, wait, I'm going to – I'm going to store my corn in a silo and wait until, you know, December to bring it to market when, you know, the, the prices are supposed to be better instead of instead of right now. Like like any any little person, you know, the little guy with exposure to these prices can use them to make their business better. Yeah. Well said, guys, especially considering you're not licensed to talk <laughs> about the freight futures. Actually, I, I, I'm, I'm allowed to. You're licensed? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that. wow. Uh, well, you did a very good job, I must <laughs> say. Um, that was that was safe sailing. Uh, the uh, But I want to just uh, – the Freight Waves uh, radio show will keep coming live to you each and every week from 3 to 5. Uh, uh, and uh, this, this coming episode uh, tomorrow will focus on all things tech. We're celebrating the launch of the Trucking Freight Futures, as we just said, and the Colab Tech Innovation Collaboration. So that'll be exciting. It's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to say. I know. Uh, I, 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 I stole it. <laughs> it's, it's mine now. <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey, and we've, we've got an approved person to talk about Freight Futures here on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Uh, so, hey, well, speaking of, um, you know, difficult things, challenging things to communicate to our audience, uh, you want to talk to us about private equity? You wanna... <laughs> Said enthusiastically by chat. Yeah. Private <laughs> equity. Well, no, but it, the reason we're even talking about it, let me just say, is that we're, we're talking about freight and tech and innovation. And, hey, private equity and VC, venture capital, and transportation logistics – this yeah. is how it happens. Yeah. Can be yeah. an exciting topic to talk about. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. So I wrote this story, and it really started from this uh, McKinsey and Company uh, re- like annual report on global private markets. For it's their 2019 report. It's focused on what happened in 2018. It includes things like real estate and infrastructure, and natural resources. But m- the biggest, the part that I was interested in was private equity in the United States um, and how that would relate to transportation and logistics industries. And, you know, I mean, private equity, you know, it's, it sounds like a technical word. It's not actually that complicated. Strictly, can you kind of explain like what the concept of private equity is? So private equity essentially is, you know, a company or a person or a group of people that invests in multiple entities or companies or organizations, and they try to find ways to make the, you know, they combine other companies with each other to try to figure out a way to make them, you know, either grow or increase in value. 
Yeah, and so it's it's so the 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 sort of the op the converse of private equity would be like the public stock market where people you know buy pieces of a company and hope that that company goes up in value. If you buy a lot of that company, maybe you can influence what the management does. But private equity is like you know it's almost like one shareholder buying the entire company or the majority of a company and then you know injecting a lot of money and trying to basically take a good business and make it better. Yeah, so what, ideally what a private equity company does is they find a company that you know may not be complete. They may be doing well well enough, uh, but if they combine them with another company or another entity or maybe they just need extra cash. And you maybe know, they need to like buy uh, you know build a facility in a certain market that their assets are perfectly suited to operate profitably. Yeah, so or maybe they just don't have the visibility to really kind of uh, grow appropriately, and they can't enter a space. Maybe they're stuck. And th- so it sounds like you're distinguishing already a little bit between what private equity is and venture capital. Yeah. I mean, venture capital is private equity, but private a, equity is definitely yeah, not just venture yeah, capital. exactly. So venture capital is about really making a lot of you know, typically smaller bets on founders, especially early stage venture capital. These right. are companies. Okay. These are companies that are still in growth mode. They're cash flow negative. You know, they're not. It, they're not mature. Um, you're fun, you're financing. You're financing organic growth. Um, private equity, and and I should also say this: um, the tolerance for failure in venture capital is much greater. If if one if one out of ten companies succeeds and does well. That's fine. In private equity, you're, what, what you're doing is you're buying mature companies that are already profitable, unless you specialize in distress assets, which is totally different. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you're, you're buying mature companies that are already profitable. You're trying to make them better. You're trying to increase their value so you can sell them in, you know, call it four to six years. That's um, right. But the tolerance for failure is much lower. Yeah, they're need, trying to. The investments are larger, and you need every single company to generate a positive return for your limited partners. Yeah, and and kind of the mutual like like the commonality here between VC and private equity is that you know if they do both need money, that is kind of what private equity can offer as well as VC. But private equity, like you said, has more of an operational concern. Where VC kind of steps back and says, mm. "We like your concept and your idea. We're going to help kickstart you or get you off the ground, and or at least push you off the runway a little bit further." Right. You've right. had some experience um, yeah, with private I have, equity. I have. I can. I can. I can tell you exactly tell us, how. Tell us the story, Zach. Yeah. So, so what, what happened? My old company was bought by private equity back in uh, 2015, and you know our experience was not great. It was it was pretty bad, actually. And and one of the you know, I met several people along the way. This is actually where I got a lot of education from multiple, uh, you know, outside sources. We met with consultants. We met with I met all sorts of M&A experts, uh, all sorts of people across the spectrum. Uh, our board members, wow. like, you know, one of our board members, hysterical. He'd, he'd been around a while. And he told this story about how his com- he sold his company to private equity back in 2008. And they were a bunch of bankers that kind of used all these financial instruments and, you know, thought they knew everything they could know because they could measure revenue and profit and all this kind of stuff. And he kind of laughed and they bought it for a multiple higher than he thought it was worth. And he was like, yeah, I'll sell it to you. Well, he brings (laughs) – 
in in okay. two less than 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2008. Oh, great timing. <laughs> Timing's yeah. everything. But still, less than two years later, he buys it back at a fraction of the cost. Um, but he also cites that they really did not understand the business at all. So what they did was they came in and didn't really have a good action or a game plan for it. Okay. Um, anyway, he kind of relayed this story in his interview with the guys that bought us. And they were kind of sitting there going, yeah, that's true. That's real. Uh, none of the guys at our firm had... They weren't actually listening, though. Yeah, no. They were like, oh, man, this guy's great. And he's on the board for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> After we buy it. Yeah. <laughs> which and, we're not going to not and, do. Yeah. Uh, the problem was is that they didn't really pay attention to the lesson of his story, which <clears> was they came in with all these financial figures. They didn't understand the operation of what he was trying to do, the company or anything. Within a year or two, his company was already back up making profit, um, killing it. Uh, but these guys kind of did the same thing. They came in and said, we're going to just clean up because you don't know what you're doing. Um, and a they, hubristic. Yeah, they didn't really have a game plan. They just said, you're obviously operating inefficiently, and we're going to help you clean up. Well, this was before 2016 when the economy kind of took a dive. But again, the thing that private equity should have done here is – they should have had a real game plan for how to grow us without just coming in and saying, we're going to cut a bunch of costs, even though we have no idea why you're inefficient. Industry specific. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. They're, they're financial people. They should not know how to run it. They you should not know. Throw, how... Like throwing, you just can't just throw like, you can't just put like lighter fluid on it and the fire burns. I mean, it, it'll burn. No, no, your burn no. Rate will get... They legitimately told me there's a million dollars of EBITDA on the table here because of your inefficiency. And I was like, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I was and, and like maybe I have a few answers for you guys. And and I was like, because I was really the data guy for the company. Like I I ran the numbers, so yeah, I was like, yeah. well, <laughs> you're I, saying that I'm not doing my job. Whereas I believe that you're accurate in terms of there's inefficiency here because there's inefficiency in every company. Uh, <laughs> right, that right. low hanging fruit buzzword oh, that you hear right. in every board meeting. Um, inefficiencies, inefficiencies, solutions. But he could not provide me any specific examples. And so he, they just press constantly, like, you're just not doing a good enough job. Do your cost better. Eventually, it just tanked the company. I mean, it That's just, the long and short. You're just yeah. cutting right to the – Right to okay. the – well, And they try to grow revenue that was unprofitable and you know, well, lots of things like that. I mean, that's, so that's one example about how private equity can go bad, the sort of mismatch between the financial expertise of the investors and their operational know-how, especially in – you know, transportation, which is exceedingly complex, and most of the operators have this deep, even multi-generational tribal knowledge. No, and um, this this is the problem with a lot of trucking companies, too, is because you have <clears throat> a, a financial segment of a company and you have an operational segment of a company, and they do not communicate very effectively. Which One you have seen. You've I have, been in that corporate world. I've literally lived in the middle of these two sectors. Uh, and even when I was there, I had trouble translating to each side what each one was trying to do. Um, and that's effectively what happened at our old company is that they – because they had so much success with the financial side, they thought they could apply it to the operational aspect even though they had no idea what it meant to run a successful like trucking operation. Right. Um, okay. So, I think the larger, the larger themes though yeah. of the story are basically just that – Private equity is growing a lot. Yes. A lot of different kinds of investors are putting money into private equity firms to get to generate higher returns than, for example, in the public markets. Um, 
we, we published a story last week saying that CalPERS, which is this, you know, one of the largest institutional investors in the United States, the, the uh, California State Employee Pension Fund, um, they approved a plan to put another $20 billion into private equity, which normally th- those pension plans are pretty risk averse. Uh, yeah, and overall, J- JP, uh, so what, like, okay, so we, we, let's, let's, we, we, overview of private equity, why is it, why are, why are companies not as likely now to maybe go IPO in public? <clears throat> they're, they're staying That's private, they're staying private a little bit more. What is it about like valuation? There are and- three. There are three reasons, and mm-hmm. one of them is the most important. Uh, the first, well, the the main important reason is that for the past six years there has been no premium in valuations from going public versus private. Which means that if you are trying to sell your company or part of your company, you can either decide to go. On the, you know, the, say the New York Stock Exchange and sell it to a bunch of different people, or you can go and you know try to sell it to a private equity group. Um, historically, you could get a lot more bang for your buck on a public market. For the past six years, there's been no meaningful difference. Right. So, okay, so no meaningful difference. So then, why are more people choosing private? Because it has other advantages. Um, at uh, the uh, Stiefel Conference in Miami Beach, uh, Stiefel Nicholas, the investment bank, um, mm-hmm. held a transportation logistics conference in Miami Beach this past February that I attended. Um, John Larkin, an investment banker from Stiefel, moderated this panel on private equity and venture capital. And one of the things that he said was w- management likes, tends to like private, um, I- private investors, private owners better because – you know, they prefer having a small group of committed people who have already bought into a certain vision who, in theory at least, have some sort of operational know-how as opposed to you go IPO, you know, 700 different investors buy large amounts of stock. They're calling you every – you know, <laughs> they're, they're calling you every day saying, like, how was business this morning? Like, can you give me yeah. an update? Like, what, yeah. why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? It's very diffuse. It's very fleeting. It's finicky. That people are moving in and out of your company. There's no real commitment, and yet you have to answer to these shareholders. Yeah, no, it's that, rough. that can be that can be really problematic for management. Thirdly, compliance costs of reporting public. You know, when you're a publicly traded company, you have to do all of your accounting in a certain way. You have to every little like material change to your business. Sarbanes Oxley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the, the, Zach's referring to the legislation that was passed in the wake of the Enron thing, which you know dramatically uh, increased cost of compliance and actually has led to a demonstrable decline in the number of publicly traded companies in the United States. It's very inefficient. If I may, Zach, um, what would, in the past, like what, what were the advantages of, of being a publicly traded company over private equity? Like why would, and I think this is our last question on this topic so we can, but like, but so why now do you, do you think that private equities are kind of emerging is almost like a, if not a preference, at least kind of equal to a publicly traded company. Well, it allows the smaller companies to really be able to grow faster. I mean, uh, before like IPOs, I mean, IPOs were a very risky venture, honestly. Uh, You got a bunch of cash real fast 
and then you were expected to use it really fast and like grow real fast. So it was kind of like getting your second like raise of VC in today's terms. So you would okay. basically be like this huge. You you would be expected to perform like right away. Well, private equity actually, if it's done right, which I actually knew it a guy. Can be. Yeah, it, <laughs> it it actually can be done it right. It often is, and we we yeah. know yeah. a lot of great Obviously. firms who yeah. do very well. In no, no, no. I I talked to a guy who There's was certified for M and A and all that kind of stuff, and he gave he gave me a full education on how it actually is supposed to work. And they're supposed to have all these like action items and game plans after evaluating the companies thoroughly, figuring out where they can work together well. And the private equity firm's job is to go in there and really, you know, they don't necessarily need to know the business like as well as the management. Right. But they should be able to provide so much opportunity for each company to kind of work together and grow together. And they provide this space and also the capital, obviously, to kind of work well. Like you can't go out there and be a $250 million company and expect – I'm going to IPO tomorrow. Like, I guess I'm wondering, <laughs> though, why the emergence, why this trend now? Uh, are we seeing it? And I don't know how granular we keep going with this, but I, I, I'm, I'm just – there's obviously a it's, trend happening. So, and, and, and just to quantify the trend, mm-hmm. um, from 2006 to 2017, the number of publicly traded companies – dropped 16% to about 4300 companies. Yeah, the bottom line chat is that it's in the same period cheaper. In the, in the same period the number of privately or the number of uh private equity backed companies grew from about 4000 companies to about 8000 companies. Right. No, I I doubled, saw the I doubled. saw that in and the, so yeah, yeah. That that's I know that's just, the trend. Just for our it's listeners to quantify the trend, okay. it's, it's yeah. flip-flopped. There, Ten years ago, there were more publicly traded companies than private equity-backed companies. Now, there's yeah. about twice as many. No, it's it's, it's significantly yep. it's significantly cheaper to do that, and the return may not be as great okay. initially, but the long run return is certainly far more successful. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a trend that we are covering, and, 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 the, and the money's available. First of all, yeah. it, like uh, it's yes. no, it's and it's, yeah, it's a granted. Like you don't have to worry about your stock price after that first IPO day dropping. Tw- you know, 300% the next day. Private equities, mm-hmm. um, it, I think technically some could argue if you wanted to do a dissertation on it that goes back to the uh, turn of the 20th century, but it's really been, you know, happening since the 1970s. Yeah. Hey, yeah. that's as yep. much as we're going to go into that because we tried to explain that as if it was to a five-year-old, but like just trying to keep it clear and simple, but I don't think we did that. <laughs> we're, we're celebrating freight and tech and innovation, and one last topic that we're going to hit before our uh, big deal, little deal, guys. You know, uh, Brian Strait also covered a pretty cool, um, you know, just what's happening with Autonomous as he is covering it from Columbus, Indiana. And, you know, um, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of things are happening with Navistar. Uh, they're they're kind of giving us a sense of, hey, guys, like, yeah, you know, the media headlines say that uh, level five autonomous, when are we going to get there? <laughs> when are we not? Is it ever going to happen? Do we want it? Do we? De-? And it just goes on and on. But in the meantime, the, the, the builders of the OEMs, 
original equipment manufacturers. <laughs> the builders of the OEMs. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they're, they're talking about, hey, here's what is happening in innovation this year. And it's connected vehicles, driver interfaces, fuel economy is a focus, of course, uh, and, and, and emissions reductions. And also, just they, and they're, they're calling them advanced driver assistance systems. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's... These are all attainable things. These are realistic goals. That level five autonomous stuff is years away, if not decades. Um, oh, these are these are these are these are things that you need to decades, focus on first. Decades, ah, dude. It's oh. it's going to take a while. Is my point? Not necessarily that I know and can see the future, but it's. You know, to create a level five autonomous, you have to do everything that you just stated <laughs> there first. Right. It's kind of like crawl before yeah. you before you run type deal. Yeah. All right. Well, no wonder they're grabbing the headlines. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, those things are happening, and I'm just gonna, um, you know, just cut to the chase. That that is, uh, there's, you know, check out the article uh, by Brian Strait, autonomous electric and regulatory barriers uh, uh, on Navistar's. Gilligan, uh, painting a path forward. All right, JP, are you ready to take on and run the gauntlet of the big deal, little deal? Let's do this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Ready or not, then, here we go. LiDAR Company lands 60 million, big deal or little deal? Um, I think it's a little deal. I think that it's a late entrant, and um, most of the leading autonomous companies aren't using LiDAR. Chinese commercial vehicle market expected to continue softening through 2022. Big deal or little deal? Big deal, not a surprise. It's very easy to scare um, Chinese consumers into uh, tightening their spinning. UPS and Matternet launch commercial drone deliveries on NC Hospital campus. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. Um, I think that the sort of a local campus-based sort of uh, – and it, it, I think you've got the combination of like – some, you know, small length of haul plus urgent supply. I think it makes sense. Uber buys Middle East rival Kareem for $3.1 billion. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. They're consolidating ride hailing in the Middle East uh, ahead of the IPO. Um, it definitely makes sense. Volkswagen partners with Amazon subsidiary to improve operational efficiency. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. The partners complement each other well. It's a global industry platform that could be the beginning of an industrial ecosystem with transparency and efficiency bringing benefits to everybody. Indian logistics startup Delivery attains unicorn status with new financial raise. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. The commerce industry has been has seen spectacular growth in India over the last decade, and it's now valued over one point five billion dollars. How is that? That's I mean, that's a lot of cheese. That's a big deal. All electric seaplane fleet coming to the Pacific Northwest. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. The that that airline, you know, serves more than five hundred thousand passengers, thirty thousand commercial flights each year, and you know, it's like they're turning seaplanes into e-planes. Is there anything little about that? Canadian trucker XTL says hourly driver pay program is paying off. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. It, you know, the, the idea is to like help length of haul at five, it, it, with uh, companies like t- typical length of haul of 500 to 600 miles and, and also to help the drivers you know, fight the war on detention. So I, I, I think it's great. And uh, Layla is shaking really her head long. in disdain. Really long. You're two, making me feel two, good. Two minutes, 15 seconds. Wow. Wow. Look at the extremely. Like, Layla's I mean, she, like this, almost just mocking us. <laughs> it's just like. 
She's like grinning uh, like the Cheshire cat. When I come on here, I do it. She's happy when we fail. You know, after you guys nerded out on private equities for like an hour and a half, like I, I don't mind like missing big deal or little deal by a couple of seconds. Maybe it's just me. Uh, no, this was a great episode. Good times. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks to Redwood Logistics once again. And, you know, let's just celebrate this weekend. Everybody come on down to Freight Alley where it's all happening. The uh, case competition, freight futures, uh, it really is all happening. Zach, thanks again for being here. And, uh, you know, like. Thanks, man. Good times. Getting in between like- us and yeah. <laughs> figuring things out. You guys started to fight there in the middle. I had to jump in between you. So. It was a Zach sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> and JP is already onto his LinkedIn. So that's it from here. All right. Peace out. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly. So be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.